0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Healing the Paralysed by Pastor Sean Wood. I'll just pray and then we'll come around the word. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would be glorified and continue to be glorified right now in this place. Lord, as we open your word, may you open our eyes and our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, devices, whatever it is that you have the Bible, if you've memorised the entire Bible, please put your brain at about Mark 2, if you can. Uh, Meet me in Mark chapter 2. Sometimes I hear, and I've even thought this myself, I've thought, I'm only one person. You ever thought that? What difference can a small group of people make? Just as a... Side note, uh, 95% of churches across the globe are under 200 people. So I don't know how you kind of... And uh, when I looked through the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, some of them were bigger and some of them were smaller. But do you want to know how many people went to any of those churches? I can't tell you because nobody was keeping count. And sometimes we can have a mentality that maybe we're just a small group of people. What impact can we have? Just this week we celebrated, we didn't celebrate, we remembered a time 19 years ago when 19 men made an enormous impact across the globe. The date was September 11th, the year was 2001, 19 radical extremists in the name of a God that doesn't exist, in the name of a prophet. Doesn't speak popular. Nineteen radical extremists flew aeroplanes into the Twin Towers in America. One into the Pentagon, one was aimed for Camp David. And if you think that a small group of people can't change anything, nineteen people changed how we travel by air almost immediately. It was almost apparent immediately that you needed an MRI almost to get on a plane. If you think the words don't have power, walk into the middle of an airport, even right now, with hardly anybody there now, walk into the middle of an airport and yell out the word bomb. See if you get a reaction. 19 people changed how we do life. Our focus globally went from communism to a different word. Terrorism. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought if 19 men can... Be so radically dedicated to the wrong cause, but yet impact the globe. I wonder what 140, 150 people can do radically dedicated to the right cause. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a movie that stars Mel Gibson. It's called We Were Soldiers. It's a true story about a battle in Vietnam. And you could probably... It painted Mel Gibson as the hero, but when I was watching this movie, I thought, you know what? The guys with guns, yeah, that's reasonably heroic. Uh, the general was reasonably heroic, but I, I began to realise that the greatest heroes in the movie were actually the top pilots. I mean, these guys are flying in through enemy fire, landing in the midst of chaos, picking up the wounded, and then taking them to a hospital. Sometimes they have guns on the choppers, sometimes they don't. But these guys, for a complete disregard for their own safety, they fly into the middle of the battle, they pick up all the wounded and they fly them out. Uh, uh, Today I want to talk to you about an incident that happened, an account that we find in the Gospels. And I would like to say that we're much like those chopper pilots. There's a raging battle that's going on. In the spiritual realm, there's an enormous battle that's going on. You don't have to look very far to realise that life is beating people up everywhere we go. There are wounded people everywhere. You don't have to look far. God has called us to be like chopper pilots, coming in, picking up the wounded, and taking them to the one that can heal them. We might be able to do some quick patch-up on the way. (laughs) You know, the medics on the field, they quickly bind up the, the wounds if they can. They chuck them on a chopper. But the real help they need isn't on the battlefield and it's not amongst the medics. And the, and, and the chopper is not actually the real help they need. And the real help that people need it goes far beyond the physical. We're going to see that today in the account that we read. And the real help they need is, is actually not church. <laughs> they need Jesus. If you've met me in Mark chapter 2... We're going to begin in verse 1, and it says, And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum, or Capernaum, depends on whether you're on the north side or south side of Brisbane. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Hang on a second. Doesn't Jesus live in Nazareth? Well, for a small period of time, yes. But he takes up residence. We read in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus kind of takes up residence in Capernaum. And Capernaum is an interesting place, and it's certainly an interesting place for what's about to take place, because uh, Capernaum... Many miracles happened in Capernaum. Luke chapter 4, Jesus cites, uh, he says, do hear what you did in Capernaum. <laughs> and what did Jesus do in Capernaum? Well, we read in the Gospel accounts of a few things that he did. First thing was that a man that was demon possessed was set free. Another thing in John chapter 4, we see that the, a leading official and a ruler of Capernaum, his son, was healed. There's a really freaky miracle. I call it a freaky miracle. This one just extends the boundaries. This is where Jesus is no longer a man now. Uh, and that's the healing of the centurion servant. Uh, there was no song and dance. There's no physical act. There's no hands laid on. Jesus, just in case you're wondering, Jesus can speak a word from anywhere. And the miraculous can happen. That's what happened with the centurion servant. That happened in Capernaum. And then we come to today's account. But then when I'm reading Matthew 11, I found something very interesting. All the miracles that happened in Capernaum. Jesus says, woe to many cities, but he includes Capernaum. And he says, woe to you, Capernaum, because if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom would stand to this day. That's a big statement. The sins of Sodom weren't what you think they were, by the way. But it leads me to a point that we need to grasp as we move through this account. Miracles are great, but miracles actually don't produce faith. They produce a very superficial, emotional basis by which we interact with God. Jesus, in John chapter 6, after feeding 5,000 people... You would think got the result that he wanted. He feeds 5,000 people and then crowds, it says, followed him everywhere. This is what Jesus came for. But Jesus turns and rebukes the crowd and says, you are only following me to get your belly full. In other words, you're only following me to get what you want. There's a very emotional, surface-level faith. <clears throat> We're going to unpack a little bit about faith as we move forward this morning, but let's keep going past Capernaum. It says, He returned to Capernaum after some days. It was reported that He was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and He was preaching the word to them. Uh, just take note that Jesus is preaching to a crowd right now. Uh, uh, Jesus, the God man, He's actually in the realms of anointing. There's never been a more anointed preacher than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There wouldn't have been, I've never heard him sing, but there wouldn't have been a more anointed worship leader than Jesus. And Jesus is preaching to the crowds. It's very important that we grasp this as we move forward because many people are there and many of them will leave the same as they turned up. And so often uh, I, we kind of have the mentality that we're waiting for God to move and then we will respond Our prayers sound, God, please come. Our prayers sound like, God, please move. And and we're waiting for God to do everything so that we can respond. This account is going to flip the coin on that. I would like to say that there's a world waiting right now. And God's waiting for us to move. God will respond when we move. You see, in the book of Acts, who here would like to see signs, wonders, miracles? Who would like to see that? Okay, well the book of Acts makes it clear how that happens. Uh, The signs and the wonders in the book of Acts were confirming the word that they preached. And many signs and wonders were done at the hands of the apostles confirming the message. You want to see miracles? You want to see wonders? Start preaching the gospel. It's pretty simple. There was no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic. I love this. Uh, I just want to press the pause button for a moment. Whenever we come across a physical condition in the Gospels, it corresponds very deeply to a spiritual condition. Let me try and explain that. Uh, When Jesus heals the people who are blind, there's a spiritual blindness as well. When... When Jesus uh, sets free those, that, yes, that's the same in the spiritual, when, when Jesus cleanses the lepers, there wasn't any lepers that were ever healed, by the way, they are all cleansed, but leprosy uh, very much speaks about a spiritual condition called sin. And you see, the physical condition of leprosy, it desensitizes the members so that you have no feeling and you become numb. It's exactly what sin does to the heart, desensitizes it. And here we have a paralytic, a paralytic who is unable to help himself, unable to do anything for himself, fully conscious of his surroundings. And I would like to make the bold statement that there are paralysed people spiritually in our community. There are paralysed people spiritually in this room. People have allowed fear to paralyze them. People have allowed unbelief and doubt to paralyze them. We we live in a community, in a secular society that has allowed atheism and all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas about how we got here to paralyze them. I have some enormous good news. I love the Word of God because often I get the opportunity to preach two sermons in one. So... uh, the more this continues, I'm going to have to ask the board to kind of pay me double every Sunday. Everybody said amen, right? And they came bringing to him. A, you couldn't. They look after me very well. Please understand. They brought to him a paralytic carried by four men. Uh, to carry somebody, and as we work our way through this account, to carry somebody is to step into somebody else's infirmity. Chopper pilot. Step into somebody else's infirmity and help them. They were carried by four men. Those four men, I'd like to say that we're the four men in today's account. I Grab hold of these four men. Grab hold of their heart condition. Grab hold of their actions. These four men might even be, here's the second sermon, these four men might even be your small group. You know, when you're incapable, when you don't have any faith for yourself, when life's beaten you up and you find yourself paralysed, it could be your small group that says, we've got to get you to Jesus. When you're out in the community, carrying people looks like stepping into their infirmity, stepping that's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into your sin and brokenness and took it all away. Greatest exchange. The hero of this account is Jesus. Second is these four men. And what they do to the paralytic. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. We have Jesus preaching to a crowd. We have four men bringing a paralytic. When we read the same account... In the book of Luke, a very interesting line appears at the start of the account. It says that Jesus was gathered, many were gathered, and then it says something very random, but very interesting. And the presence of God was amongst them to heal them. Whoa. Hang on a second. We have Jesus in the room, Son of God, all the power, all the supernatural power, We now have Luke telling us that the power of God was in the room to heal everybody. And four people are going to take advantage of it. We're going to see what they do. We're going to see how it happens. We're going to see what our place in all of this is. But I'd like to propose that God is ready now. I would like to say that everything that Jesus has completed at the cross... If I could make a bold statement, I'd like to say that the presence of God is in this room every Sunday. Presence of God is activated. I wonder whether we're tapping into it. And when I was going over this this week, uh, I was deeply challenged about what's coming up next. Because the difference between these four men... It's a difference that I see within myself. These four men, we're going to read, let's read, they're carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. <laughs> uh, this is the Tasmanian way of doing things, by the way. Uh, when a door's locked, just hack it off. This is how it works kind of thing. But But what I love about these guys is they is what they don't do. They turn up with the paralytic, they see the crowd, they can't get in the door, they can't get in the windows. What they don't do is say, well, let's, let's pray for the guy and take him home. They, they don't look at him and say, well, you know, you missed out today, we've got to, we've got to take you back home. Maybe, maybe Jesus will come or, or, or maybe, maybe we'll just say, put in a prayer request, put it into the letterbox on our way out. That's not what they say. They say, we are getting you to Jesus. Why? Because that's what he needed. You go, we're going to see you've got all the religious people standing right at the door. You've got the scribes who were the interpreters of the law standing at the door. And this guy's going home paralyzed unless they get into Jesus. And the one thing that separates them from me when I look in my own heart, when you're hungry, you'll take the roof off. When you're hungry for God, nothing will stop you getting to Jesus. When you've got, what's the difference? There's an appetite here. What's the difference when you go to developing countries? People have always asked me, how come when you go to the Philippines? How come when you go to Africa, the power of God is so, because they're hungry. Because they're standing out in a monsoon, worshipping God, and nothing's going to stop the meeting. When you're hungry, nothing will stop you getting to Jesus. These guys are hungry. I had to ask myself this week, Sean, are you that hungry? And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love what comes next. Have a listen to this line. And when Jesus saw their faith, paralytic didn't have any faith. He's been beaten up, this guy. He's, he hasn't heard some good news for a long time, this paralytic. And we live, in a, we live today, right now, in a culture and a generation, they might be lacking faith, but they're looking for those that have got faith. And today I want to talk a little bit about faith because uh, you've got to be hungry, but you've got to have faith to tap into God. You've got to have faith. Because there's a room full of people here we're going to see that are going to miss out, and four guys tap into what's there because they have some faith. But I want to make something abundantly clear faith has feet. Faith doesn't have eyes, hope's got eyes. Faith doesn't have lips. Hang on, Pastor, with our heart we believe, with our mouth we confess. No, faith looks like something in your life. I want to take you to a a guy that was a critic. One of the staunchest critics of Jesus before he passed away was his half-brother named James. One of the first people Jesus appears to when he's risen from the grave It's James. That's just like Jesus. James would go on to be the bishop of... Of Jerusalem. Giving you a little bit of context. Because we're going to read a passage from James. In 70 AD. When they sack the city of Jerusalem. Heading for the temple. They take. They get rid of most of the priests before they get there. But they they take James up on the top of the temple. And they throw him off the top of the temple. And to their dismay. He gets up and dusts himself off. And goes back into the temple. He's later killed by the sword. This James, I believe, has a lesson for us. If you want to write this down, you can look it up later. But chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You're not saved by works. Faith is what happens afterward." Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What's James saying? You can stand around and tell me how much you believe in Jesus and love Jesus, but unless I see it in your life, what good is your faith? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, if it does not have feet, your faith is dead. James is, he doesn't pull any punches. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. (laughs) My spiritual gift is faith. Somebody else's spiritual gift is doing the work. Show me your faith, says James, apart from your works, and I will show you my faith. This is a clincher, this one. And I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you and I will demonstrate to you the belief that I have in God by the life that I live. There were four men that said, faith looks like I'm going to cut a hole in the roof if I have to, but I am going to get this man to Jesus. And I want to, before we go any further, I want to challenge you to begin thinking about who it might be that you could step in, whose life right now could you step into and carry them to Jesus? Who here has heard of a guy called Nabil Karishi? Anybody heard of Nabil Karishi? Nabil Karishi was a member of Rabbi Zacharias' ministry team. He passed away at the age of 37, two years ago, from stomach cancer. He an interesting testimony. you listen to his testimony. You can still find it. It's uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. If you look it up on YouTube, you'll get his testimony. But I want to quickly give you a glimpse of what carrying somebody looks like. Nabil Karishi was a self-confessed evangelical Muslim. His parents were evangelical Muslims. What's the difference? They go about deliberately trying to proselytise other people into the Muslim faith. And he found that he would engage people, particularly Christians, he would engage them in the school environment and find that they could not beat him. Very intelligent man, they couldn't beat him. He could quickly disperse their arguments And he stumbles one day across a guy by the name of David Woods. He's got a great last name. (laughs) And David Woods could go toe for toe with Nabil Karishi. And Nabil debated. Nabil argued. Nabil tore apart. Tried to. Every response from David Woods for three years. For three years, Nabil Karishi never stepped foot in a church. For three years, he staunchly, adamantly argued with David Woods. And at the end of three years, he picked up the phone and rang David and said, I need you to pray for me. David says, I have been for three years. He says, I need you to pray for me. He says, why is that today? He says, because I'm going to my parents. He says, I'm about to shatter their lives. Because I'm about to go to my parents who are evangelical Muslims and tell them I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Carrying somebody looks like David Woods. It looks like stepping into somebody else, meeting them right where they're at and saying, the only hope is for me to get you to Jesus. Nabil Karishi went on to be one of the greatest apologists in recent times, particularly to Muslims. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now, just spare a thought for the paralytic for a moment. Have a listen to what Jesus says to him. And he says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. How, how, how many people have gone, Hang on, stop the bus? Uh, the paralytic's laying there on a bed. He's like, I'm not here because I'm lazy, man. Uh, uh, these guys didn't carry me because they, they like me. There's a reason why I'm laying on the bed here. Uh, I'm laying before you, completely paralyzed, uh, and you're going to tell me my sins are forgiven? Can I get a refund? Uh, But I love how Jesus does this here. Jesus is attacking many things all at once. But the first thing is, he wants everybody to know that our greatest need isn't the physical. Plenty of people have physical ailments, I get that. Jesus can heal your physical body, yes. Jesus can miraculously and supernaturally break chains in your life, yes. But the greatest need that everybody has is spiritual healing. Jesus deals with the spiritual first... It's kind of like a few weeks ago, for those that weren't here, I spoke about uh, in the sanitariums in America, uh, they used to have a process where before they released you back into public, uh, they would take you to the janitor's closet, they would uh, put a plug in the sink and turn the water on. And just as the water's beginning to lap over the sink onto the floor, they would hand the patient a mop and walk out. (laughs) Now, after some time, if they came back and the guy's mopping the floor and the plug's still in the sink, you're not ready to rejoin society. If they come back and the plug's out of the sink and the floors are clean, here's your pass, you may leave. And the the reason for that is, if the plug's still in the sink, they're not really dealing with the root problem. They're just mopping up the mess. We might mop up mess, but Jesus is the only one that can fix the root problem. And the root problem with society, wherever you take it to, it always comes back to sin. But this wasn't just for the benefit of the paralytic, of course. Jesus is far more glorious than that. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, here we go. Now, this guy turns up to the door, all the religious folk are at the door. As is the case today, Uh, church isn't going to save anybody, church isn't going to heal anybody, religion does nobody any good. You can have all the religion you like, you can have all of the rules you like, you can have all of the regulations you like, but if you don't have Jesus, you've still got the plug in the sink. Now, the scribes are beginning to question amongst themselves. If you want to know, am I a scribe or a Pharisee today? Because there are scribes and there are Pharisees today. Scribes and Pharisees stand at the edge of what God is doing and throw grenades at it. (laughs) Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Or in the Greek, they were reasoning within themselves doesn't take long you have a conversation outside of this room. doesn't take long to realise that many people are having conversations. They're, they're reasoning within themselves. Who is this Jesus? The scribes are reasoning because they want to know, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can for, forgive sins but God alone? Great question to ask. Jesus will answer that question for them. And Jesus wanted to bring them to that point. Why? Because Jesus wants them to know, I am God. You can interpret scripture until you're black and blue in the face. You can have all the laws. These guys, the scribes knew everything. The scribes had everything down pat. They they knew everything from the law. They knew everything from the prophets. And you would go to the scribe if you wanted to to have, how do the scriptures apply to me? You would go to the scribe. And the scribes are sitting there throwing grenades. (laughs) Who does this guy think he is? He knows he's God. I love the response of Jesus. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, (laughs) thoughts are like speech before Jesus. (laughs) Be very careful what you think. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And when Jesus speaks to anybody, the supernatural happens. Jesus says, I say to you, and Jesus speaks to anybody. We live in a world today with life coaches. We live in a world today of self-help programs. We live in a world today where we've got 12 steps for everything. If your 12 steps doesn't lead to Jesus, I'm sorry. If your, if your self-help books don't lead to Jesus, I'm sorry. The only answer For a paralysed world is the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can set us free. He's the only one that can pull the plug out of the sink. He's the only one that has the answer for the human heart. We can put men on the moon, but we can't deal with the problem of the human heart. Jesus has the answer for you. The end result... Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, all. They were all amazed and they all glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I look forward to the days, I am looking forward to the days when we say that here. When right here in Brisbane, we say we've never seen anything like this. What the world needs is churches full of these four men that are ready to step into everybody else's world and carry them to Jesus. What, what a world that is questioning and reasoning in their hearts. What do they need when there's uncertainty? When people are asking, who is this Jesus? It needs four people or churches full of people like these four people to stand up and go, I know who Jesus is. I know he has all the answers. I know where all the answers lie. The greatest miracle God does today, still the greatest miracle is when a life is miraculously regenerated salvation is still the greatest miracle that God does and the process of transformation is still the greatest miracle that God does. I want to challenge everybody in this room today. What would happen as I ask the worship team if they could come and rejoin me? Stu did say he was coming. We'll finish with a song. I have a challenge for everybody here this morning. What would happen... If a church, small group of 10 people, church of, you know, we're probably 140, 150 if everybody comes. What would happen if a small group of people, just like these four men, decided that the only answer for our community was Jesus? What if we were willing to stand up and say, I know who Jesus is? What if we were willing to take a stand and say, Jesus has all the answers? What if, as a church, we were willing to begin to think of whose life could I step into and carry them to Jesus? Maybe carrying someone to Jesus looks like sending them a text message: "Hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can pray for you for?" uh, uh, The president of our movement, Tim O'Neill, and his wife Sharon, uh, very good at reaching people, very good at very community focused and. I love Sharon's heart. Sharon shared one time that she has a prayer calendar. And for every day of each month, she has a name on that calendar. Very practical. And she texts those people every day. If your name's this day, she texts you and says, hey, listen, I'm praying for you today. It's the most unthreatening statement. I'm praying for you. People go, yeah, knock yourself out. Who cares? I'm praying for you today. Is there anything you need prayer for? And people go, yeah, I could do with a new Mercedes and, you know, um, trade the wife in and all this sort of stuff. But they found, by praying, they were getting phone calls back. Hey, listen, you've been praying for me? Yeah? Well, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Starts a conversation. Maybe carrying somebody looks like praying for somebody, stepping into their world. What can I do for you today that will bring you closer Let's pray. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here to have faith that has feet. That we would be moved to step into other people's worlds and carry them to Jesus. I pray that faith would grow in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus, you are the answer for a paralyzed world. May you use each one of us to bring people closer to you. No one. Thanks mate. for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.